0: we have sought to answer the question when posed to us, who are we? Who are you? And to fill in the blank, I am a good friend. I am an employee. I'm an employer. I'm a student. I'm a teacher. I'm married. I'm divorced. I'm single. I'm in a relationship. I'm not in a relationship. I am someone that struggles with a particular sin pattern or addiction. Many times we have labels that the world puts upon us that are shameful. Sometimes we have labels that the world puts upon us that are very flattering. I am a doctor. I am a CEO. I'm a really good mother. This morning, as we look to the, the Christian we find that we are not to take our identity simply from achievements and things that we do, but we take our identity from what has been done for us. We take our identity from what we have received. And so this morning we come to the characteristic or the identity or identifier of every Christian which marks them out as in Christ, and that is, who are you? Who am I? I am saved. I am a rescued one. Now, this is a huge subject. From Genesis to Revelation is a story of salvation, of God in the heavens making a plan and executing that plan by the sending of His Son as a rescuer for His sons and daughters. The journey from Genesis to Revelation is a story of rescue. And we find those men and women and children encountering a Savior, a rescuer in Jesus Christ, and they are then marked out as the saved ones, the rescued ones, His, those who are in Christ. So this morning, if we're to understand this out of Ephesians 2, verses 1-10, through 10, I want you to see three things. With an identity that I am saved, I need to be aware that I'm saved from what? And if I understand what I'm saved from, to the degree that I understand what I am saved and rescued from, to that degree, I will praise, worship, love, adore, find beautiful, and celebrate and give glory to my Rescuer. If I think that I was just saved a little bit from a little something... If I think that you saved me from burning my finger with a paper match versus you saving me from a burning house in my sleep, then my response is going to to vary. So we're going to look at what we're saved from, and as we see that magnified, it's going to magnify how we were saved, the cost of our salvation. How was I saved? Saved by what? Saved from what? Saved by what? And then finally, why? What's the... Where is, this, where is this story going? Am I just moved from one kingdom to another kingdom, saved from a cruel king to be saved now and a citizen or a slave or a servant in a, a better kingdom? Why? Where's this story going? Where's this journey of salvation going? A number of years ago, um, prior to coming here, me and my climbing partner were topping out. We had been at it all day. We had been climbing since early in the morning. And to be honest and truthful... We made two mistakes in our climb right off the get-go. Number one, we didn't arrive at the cliff at the point to begin our rock climb early enough. We began about 10 o'clock in the morning. We should have begun about 7 in the morning. Oh, it was daylight even at 5.30 or 6 because, second mistake, it was October in Utah, which meant that on the face of the rock it would be Fiercely hot in the heat of the day. But if you were there past nightfall when the sun went down, it would be fiercely cold. We had been at it all day. And in October, it get, the sun goes down earlier. So we topped out in the dark. And what you need to know about rock climbing is, is you can't... In, when you're doing rock climbing, you can't down climb. It's not like climbing a ladder, You climbed up, oh, let's go down. That's why midway, when we begin to project, this climb is going rather slowly and difficult, more difficult than we thought. We couldn't just turn around and go back down. We had to go to the top. And secondly, there's no walk-off. There's no little footpath or trail at the top that you can... You can say we made it to the top. Now let's just take the trail back down to the valley floor. The way you get down are chains. They have bolted in the walls, short, uh, about you know three foot lengths of chain, two of them, and you run your rope through those chains. You rappel down. You rappel down. Pull your rope out. Find another set of chains. Run your rope through that. Rappel down. And because this was an 8 to 10 pitch climb, we would have to do that 8 times to get down. But it's dark. We can't see the chains. We started out as two rock climbers, and now we're like two guys in the dark facing the cold of night. We could die. We were still pretty arrogant, though. Because we looked down, and I could see my partner's truck. We could see it on the road way down in the valley. And we'd been talking, and we didn't have cell phones with us or any means of communication. And so we were looking and saying, you know, did you tell your wife where you were going today? I said, no, I didn't tell Wendy. You know, it's just my day off. She doesn't know where I am. He said, well, I told my wife. He said, but I don't know, she'll be in bed by now. I don't know if she'll call or not. We kept looking, we saw his truck. A police cruiser pulled up behind his truck, turned the lights on. I said, great, great. If we get off this mountain, they're going to tow your truck. Set longer? A helicopter came by. Now, we're about 10,000 feet in the air. And so, on top of this mountain, and it's chilly, it's Cottonwood Canyon, and at the Top of Cottonwood Canyon is the snowboard ski, uh, Snowbird Ski Resort. So this helicopter goes... Broom. Huh. I bet a couple of hikers got lost. They got lo- they're getting lost all the time. Never thinking that I needed to be saved. Never calculating that we could die. I'm in a pair of hiking shorts, a cut-off t-shirt, no water... We've got our climbing gear, nothing else, no no flashlight, there's no blanket, there's no, there's no ability to communicate, there's no ability to make fire, we have no food, no water. It was going to be a long night. I was thinking, you know, I've read and heard about guys that hug each other to stay warm. Man, I, my predicament's going to have to be pretty bad to do that. but we didn't think anybody was looking for us. We hear the helicopter come back. And it stops right in front of the cliff that we're sitting, dangling our legs over. And there's a bright red light flying, uh, coming to us out of the bay door of this helicopter. I didn't know what that was about. Later we learned that it was infrared and they had picked up our heat. Um, on the mountainside. So they, they said there's two bodies together. They're, they, they have the shape of humans, not deer or animal, which wouldn't be at that elevation anyway. That's the guys. Because his wife had communicated after a season that we were long overdue. And she knew an approximate area, a valley that we often climbed in, and she said, If you find his car, that's where they are, somewhere in that that range of mountains. And the helicopter found us. The helicopter had no way to throw a line or get above us or put us on. And so it was a quandary. They were trying to communicate to us that they had sent for a rescue squad from University of Utah, a bunch of young bucks, to start climbing up toward us to try to, to reach us and And by a series of trails and switchbacks and brush beating to get to us. And we said, no, no, not necessary. And then they communicated, well, how are we going to save you? And we said, if we just had a way to get to those chains, we could get down, we think. And so we motioned, and they took their bright spotlight, and they shone it on one side of the cliff, and there was a set of chains never was anything more beautiful than a set of chains. You could see the rust stains going down the mountain there where they were in the the flat of the rock. And I thought, if I can just reach those chains, we can start our descent. We're saved. Those chains can save us. And we reached the first set of chains and we began to make our way down as they shone the light to us. We walked in, finally, finally, hours later, we, we rendezvoused with the, the crew that was coming up, a trailhead that went part of the way up, and we, they gave us some water, and we were laughing, we were talking about our climb and everything. And we came, we were so, there was such camaraderie between us, we had climbed before with some of the guys on the rescue squad, there was such camaraderie that we came up to the command station that they had there in a, in a motorhome at the bottom, uh, and, uh, and they were like, well, you know, we can't tell the difference between the rescuers and the rescued. And we said, we're the rescued. We're the guys that you saved. What's the point? The point is, is that we had to come to a sense of the danger that we were in. Secondly, we came to see that we were not simply able to save ourselves. There was nothing that we could do to change our situation. But assistance came to us from outside of ourselves, even from above. And it showed us a way to go. And in going that way... Even the first steps, we said, we're the rescued. We're we're going home. We're moving in the way. We are saved and being saved. Look at the scriptures. Verse 2. In which you once walked. Paul says that we, and I want to address you as a saved one, a Christian, this morning. And I have a question to pose you at the end of our time. If you're not a Christian, you're in the right place. We believe God has led you here to begin this journey with us. But I want to reflect for just a moment that as Christians, you began a journey of salvation either recently or some time ago. That is a journey and it's a rescue story. In verse 1, it says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And that you used to have this walk in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil and his demons and the Spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you are walking in the direction that identified you with the world. The world here not being simply every man, woman, and child creation, but he's saying in this sense, in this particular use, the world being those that are not rescued, those that... Are created by God, but they don't have intimacy with God. Those that are going their own way, they're looking for other Saviors. They're even trying to save themselves. They're dependent, they're looking to possessions to save them, relationships to save them, their own wit or strength to save them. They look in the mirror and they look at their identity and they say, as long as I can keep that look, as long as I can keep these things then they give me life and they will save me and I'll make it through. He's saying that's the course of the world. But he's saying, you used to walk in that way. But then, when I entered into a relationship with you, look down to verse 10. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You now are walking in the way of salvation. This dead body, he says, has now come to life. If you look in verse, uh, if you look in verse four, excuse me, verse five, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. You've been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So you are walking, I was walking as an unbeliever, as a a non-follower of Christ. I was following other saviors. I was believing other gospels, other good news that promised me life, promised me significance, promised me security, promised me comfort, protection. Save me, save me world, save me in this world. He said, you are walking there following false saviors. But then I came to you. You were so dead to me. And in Christ, I made you alive. And now, you're being rescued. You were rescued at that moment that you came to life. You were saved. And you are being saved now as you walk in my way all the way home. And that's the sermon. But saved... From what? It says in verse 3, at the end, well, let's describe this walk. Verse 3, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. We struggled. We struggled with lust. We struggled with envy. We struggled with these, these desires. Carrying out the desires of the body, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were not children of God, but we were children in the course of the world that were set apart and designed to have God's wrath visited upon them. But He rescued us from that wrath. Now, we are uncomfortable with the doctrine of wrath. People are offended and don't want to think that a loving God would also be a wrathful God. Here's normally what we hear. The God of the Old Testament was bloody and angry. But that's the God of the Old Testament. And He is now in a retirement home somewhere in Florida... And uh, it, it's it. We just don't visit him anymore. But Jesus, Jesus, now Jesus is he's love. Jesus is not wrathful. There was that one occasion. Okay, there was that one occasion where he turned over the tables. Or did he do that two times? Oh, okay, okay. So there is that one time where he made a whip and he kind of hit some people. Okay. There were, there, there were some of those occasions where he did say tell people that they were sons of perdition. Oh, Okay, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. There were times that he said that if you don't follow me, then you're going to be shut out. You're going to be separated like the fish or the sheep and the goats or, or weeds. And, and, and that, that is separated out, that, that goes to the fire in Hades. That goes to the darkness separated from God where there's the gnashing of teeth. Okay, okay, so I I do this, but I don't pay attention to those. And I definitely don't want to tell my friends when they ask me if I'm identified as a saved one, I don't want to be going into telling them what I'm saved from. Because they'll just think that I'm one of those Christians. Well... This sermon is not a whole sermon about God's wrath, but it is a large doctrine. And if you're going to understand the doctrine of God's wrath, you need to understand a couple of basic truths that we know about God's character and and real life truth. First of all, you need to know that real love can get really angry. Um, In 1 Timothy, 2nd chapter, verses 3 and 4, listen to the desire of God's heart. God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, what's the desire of God's heart? The first desire of His heart is to be in a loving relationship with all men and women through Jesus Christ. Through the, his, his, the desire of His heart is to rescue us all. That's what a ransom is about, is you pay the ransom price and people come. But what about those that don't come? What about those that say, we don't want you as our Savior? What about those that say, we, we don't want anything to do with you? What about those that would not be rescued? Two things. Really, there are three truths. But there's two under His wrath that you need particularly to understand. Number one, real love gets really angry. Rebecca Pippert in one of her uh, books talks about if you really love someone, think about a family member, and they struggle with a particular addiction, and you really love them, you're going to be angry with them and with that addiction and and what it does, that evil power that it has over their life. Now you're gonna love them, but you're gonna say, Wake up, don't don't do this. I love you. And Rebecca Pippert writes that she learned that hate is not hate is is not anger toward those that we love when we see them destroying their very lives or anger toward the things that we see destroying them. She said, Hate is really indifference. If you hate somebody, then just don't care. Just keep loving them. Never confront them. Never challenge them. Never lock an arm around them and say, We're going to walk through this together. I'm not leaving you. I care too much for you. I'm going to pull you back. I'm going to knock you senseless if I have to because I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to tie you up. I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you and I'm going to fight these things with you. But there's going to be a fight. God loves us that fiercely. We wouldn't find Him beautiful or worship Him if He was indifferent to the things that destroy our life or indifferent to us to not correct or challenge or even intervene when we're destroying ourselves um jesus christ he's the only sane one in a burning building and he's pointing the way out and he's saying listen to me here's the exit come and i'm in the flame because i care for you what about those that won't come what about those that just refuse, 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 refuse? There's going to come a point, there's going to come a point where we get what those people will get what they want. They will be left alone. So that's a matter of consequence. The second thing is that you must know about God's, if you're going to understand this doctrine of God's wrath, God is, God is a just... Judge, He's a judge. He's not a corrupt judge. And he's also not a cranky old man. It's like, oh, I just want to bust your party up over here. You're you're having so much fun doing this. Don't do that. You know I'm a God of a lot of do nots. Do not do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. And the do's. Do this, do this. No, no. He's not just being cranky. He set up a law that protects us. But where the law is broken, then there remains judgment. And someone must pay the consequences of breaking that law. God is a just judge. He is not a corrupt judge. I'll tell you, this really comes in really comes in as a strong and beautiful thing when you have been very, very offended, very, very betrayed, when you have been incredibly hurt by someone or someones, and you want justice. You can trust justice on your behalf as God's child to God. You don't have to take revenge. You don't have to take matters in your own hand. God is a just judge, and justice will be done. Now or later. We can trust that. And that gives me comfort, rather than having to go out and take revenge. But there's a third thing. And this gets into saved by how. How are we saved? God is both the justice, the judge on the, at the bench, but he's also the justifier. Romans 3, verse 24 begins to show us we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption. That's the we talked about that last week. Redemption is, is buying a slave out of bondage or buying a captive, you know, ransoming them out of, out of captivity. That is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine misspelling, forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This is very important. This word propitiation, there's no other word like it. It's so, there's no single word in the English language that I can use as a synonym for it. But if you'll break it apart, think about pro, propelling, propulsion, pro, far, pity, pro-pity. Propitiation is where you go to someone that is so angry with you, and by some means, when you leave, they have either received something from you, payment, recompense, an apology, but they have so received it that they are not mad with you ever again. That, they, that all wrath is completely gone. Propitiation is a sacrifice that is accepted and the debt is completely paid and there's no residual anger. There's nothing to be mad about ever again. I've been watching the Vikings, and whenever I say that, that's not a recommendation for anybody to go and watch it because sometimes people go, Oh, I watched that. I can't believe Pastor Phil is watching the Vikings. Oh, my gosh. All right. I'm not your mama. So you use discernment though. I'll tell you, this is one that I can't uh, watch with my wife because it is just too bloody. I mean it is I mean, even when, you know, the, the, the title screen comes up, it's it's blood on it. And 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 we look and they they, they worship you know, they worship Gods of Thor and Odin, and they're constantly, constantly making blood sacrifices, and even some of them are human. And that's that's what I mean. There's just blood just flows every every episode, and just about every episode you'll see them, you know, putting blood in bowls and putting it on their false wooden idols. And at one point, they have. Uh, taken captive off the English shore. They've come from Scandinavia. They've taken captive a monk from the monastery. And they brought him to Scandinavia. And he begins to observe their pagan worship. And they begin to observe his talk of Jesus Christ and His shed blood for the forgiveness of sins. And at one point, the monk goes back to England and they they ask him, they said, wow, what, what was it like living among those bloody pagans? Those false idols and gods and the human sacrifices and animal sacrifices. He said, you know, there are a lot of similarities. There are a lot of similarities because they also look to the blood to rescue them from their guilt. Well, I would tell you there's one big dissimilarity. So much so, that it would be the opposite. And this is important if you say your identity is I am saved. It's very important to know that you're a part of a very bloody faith. From Genesis where the first innocent animals were slain to cover our father and mother Adam and Eve to the very end of Revelation where it says our God, our Savior, our Rescuer on the throne appears to be a lamb bearing mortal wounds. It's a bloody thing. And it offends people in our culture and society. Oh, I don't want to talk about the blood. I don't want to talk about the blood. That song, we've got to get rid of that song. We can't sing it. The, there is a fount. There is a fount filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath its flood, lose all their guilt and shame. Veins? Really open veins of Jesus? Blood, bath, washing away my guilt. Why is that necessary? That's the thing I don't like about Christianity is all this bloody stuff. I'm offended by that. This is what is different. In Romans 3, we find that God is both the judge who demands the penalty that His wrath might be taken away completely. He demands the the penalty of blood to be shed, and He's the justifier because He comes forward and said, take me. We believe in the Trinity. It's not an angry, cranky God who says, I'm so mad at them! And then Jesus who says, well, I love them, and, and I tell you what, I, I'd be willing to shed my blood, and the, the Holy Spirit says, well, I'll, I'll facilitate this. They all three, there's one God in three persons. So the very God who said, I'm angry with you, satisfies His wrath by dying for us. Amazing rescue. Amazing. It's totally opposite. That's how we're able... That's how we're able to come and look at a bloody cross and worship and have a response of praise and celebration. We don't see a cross that awaits us or others. We see a cross that held the very bloody sacrifice of God Himself rescuing us from Himself. God has done it. I... uh, I would tell you finally that you are being saved. Forgiveness of sins is more, or or excuse me, salvation is more than just the forgiveness of your sins. You know that? Salvation is more than just forgiveness of your sin. Forgiveness of your sin is like God saying, I forgive you. Now, go out. Salvation is not only the forgiveness of our sin, but it's the inclusion of us in God. We literally become such a part of God that we become, I can't wrap my mind around it, His righteousness. We, we somehow or another, we complete Him so that when people looked at us and we say, I am saved, they say, praise God. That He did all that. He satisfied His wrath. He shed His own blood for us. And then, He gives Himself completely to us and He gives gives us completely to Him. Salvation is not simply forgiving and saying, now go out, but it's saying, I include you, come in. I've often said that it's like a judge who sits at the bar at the bench And then he says, Christ Jesus has paid for your sin. You're forgiven. And then as you leave the courtroom, you find that the judge has stood and he's taken off of his robe and he's put on a a jacket and he comes and he puts his arm around you and he said, now we're going to walk through life together. You're not simply forgiven as an individual, but you're received as a son or a daughter. And now we have newness Of life. We're not just different by forgiveness, we're different in every way. We have a completely new identity. This morning, if you're not a Christian, you've got a lot to think about. And I would ask you this afternoon to ask what I call pain line questions. Have you thought about the wrath of God? What is going to save you from the wrath of God? What do you look to to save you? Is it what you're doing? Well, I'm basically a good person. I'm even in church this morning and... What do you think of Jesus Christ? Maybe God already has you on this new path of salvation. How do you see Jesus? Do you look at Jesus and just say, wow, just a wonderful teacher, and yes, I understand that He died on the cross and forgive me, of am a sin. He's substitutionary and everything. Or do you find Him beautiful? If you're a Christian this morning, Here are two ways that you can know and have assurance that you're in the right way. Number one, you'll be able to see Jesus Christ in these elements. It's bread and it's wine, but you'll be able to sense His nearness with us, offering Himself. Again, with reminders that He died as our substitute and died in our place, and He did it without reluctance. He did it out of His great desire to save us, and He provided the sacrifice even here. And as we receive that, secondly, we see Him as beautiful. The wrath of God and the price that was paid is not, and the blood that was shed is not an ugly thing, but it comes a very beautiful thing. There was something that was more beautiful than the chains on the wall for us. And that was the light that pointed to the chains. Jesus Christ this morning points to his death on our behalf. And his death is a beautiful thing. But we worship him, the one who is showing it and revealing it to us again and again. And to the degree that we see the debt that was paid, that magnifies our love, our worship, and our walk with Him. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your story of rescue in our life. I thank You for our salvation I thank You for opening our eyes to see both Your wrath and the course of this world that we were following, but then pointing to Jesus Christ that all forgiveness, all pardon, all wrath being taken away rests in Him. And then not only forgiving us, but raising us to walk as Your sons and daughters. Lord, I ask this day that you would feed us and strengthen us in this walk and that you would feed us from this table and you would feed us from this table with the knowledge knowing that your wrath is forever satisfied. You have done it and we are yours now and forever. We ask these as your favors toward us in Christ's name, amen.